I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi, everyone. We're back with one of my favorite people on the planet, probably of other (laughs) planets as well. (laughs) We're back with Martha Jaknowski. She is a former registered nurse, a healing facilitator, and the creator of Source Harmonics. It's an approach to healing using intuitive spiritual counseling and integrative energy work to guide you to discover the healer within and your sacred highest self. And I've been on that table many times with Martha trying (laughs) like heck to get me to be my sacred highest self. (laughs) And you've done such a good job. Well, I have this guide that's a master, but um, it's was it's interesting. We got a lot of responses to the first show that you did, and um, a lot of thank yous, and a lot of people um, that are that know that it's there, and they know they really need to listen to it, and they're afraid to listen to it. Yes, yes, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very triggering. And, you know, I, I find the, the phenomenon very interesting. I, I spoke to a woman who lost her child 10 years ago, and it was as if it happened yesterday. Yeah. And so I understand that, that uh, you know, hearing my story or anyone else's story, for that matter, can be very, very triggering. But, you know, if you have the courage to take that one step forward and push play and just listen, just listen. You don't have to do anything. Just listen to the story, listen to, um, you know, what I went through and you're, you may find some common ground and also a little hope because there's nothing worse when you are going through something so dreadful that you can't find your way out and you feel there's no hope. And, and the whole point of doing this is to assure people, women uh, who've lost children, that there is hope. So anyone out there who is afraid, just listen, you went through the worst thing a human being can go through and you're still breathing. 
You are brave beyond anything that you can imagine. Just take that next step because that next step will take you to a better place. Yeah. And we're talking about the podcast that we just put up. It's called, if you're searching you know, for it through iTunes or um, Stitcher or any of the other places, it's called One Mother's Journey Through Grief with Martha Jaknowski. So it's findable that way. Or you can go to our website, mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com. And Martha is one of our co-hosts. And she also has the series called Source Harmonics, which I kept calling Sound Harmonics. <laughs> which is great. <laughs> And had to redo the whole, every place on the website where I had typed the wrong thing. And I probably said it wrong in the first show, but hey, you know what? That's life. You make mistakes. That is life. life. You know, you spelled my name correctly and that's an achievement. (laughs) Exactly. I remember when I would write you checks for sessions and I would be, I would just put J-U because I had no clue how to actually. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. There's worse things in life, believe me. <laughs> right. So let's talk about, you know, we're we're continuing on with this journey. And uh, I think, you know, if the people that are, that are fearful about tuning in, um, you know, they might listen to some shows further down the line and then go back and listen to the, you know, original one. And that's fine. But um, sure. this is what you were saying before we hit record was, you know, this is not just a profoundly sad story. This is also how you move through this. Yes. Now, please understand that I am not an expert on grieving or trauma or anything like it. The only thing I can be an expert on is my own journey. And, you know, I've made a concerted effort to pay attention to uh, myself and how I'm reacting and what I'm doing to uh, ameliorate uh, symptoms as I've been going along because I really wanted to be able to help other women. And, you know, so I'm not going to claim to have all the answers. I'm only going to give you the answers that I've found for myself and that have helped me to go from one day to the next. Because believe me, when you go through something like this, getting from day one to day two is a high achievement. And it's not for the faint of heart, I promise you that. And I I always thought I was a very strong person and, and I believe I am, but I have to tell you, that this has the power to take you down. And there were times after my son died that I actually thought I was on my way out. I didn't, I just didn't know how to, how to cope with anything. Um, You know, the first few days after his death, I was in this fog. It was just this awful fog where nothing outside of my senses made any sense to me anymore. You know, my whole world had collapsed and I had no idea how to pick anything up. I was just foggy and um, I couldn't make decisions. I, you wouldn't want me to make decisions at that point. And um, that was very disturbing because um, you don't know where your your anchor is. 
you know, right. and my, my spiritual world is my anchor. It's, it's what I am. It is how I live my life. And even that was haywire. Nothing was getting through. And, um, so if, if you're in the immediate time after the death of your child, you're going to feel this foggy headedness. You're not going to be able to, uh, make choices and decisions. I had a hard time deciding whether I was going to eat or not. And, uh, there's a very real physiological cause behind that, which I'll get into in a little while. And it has to do with the stress response. Um, you know, but the, the, the time immediately after my son died, you know, we were dealing with his estate. We were dealing with his remains. We were dealing with his possessions and every single thing that we had to deal with was a very big and very loud trigger. And even to this day, and it's been eight and a half months since my son passed, I still have not been able to go through his belongings. Yeah. And, you know, and I've, I'm tempted to say to myself, come on, it's been eight and a half months. What are you doing? And I stop myself and I say, it's only been eight and a half yes, months. I was going to say, when you, when you just said eight and a half months, I went, my God, it's only been... I mean, that's the reality. It's only been eight and a half months. Well, you know, that, and honestly, nobody around me has been pressuring me to get over it or, you know, you need to go do this, uh, you know, start going through boxes and packing away what you want to get. Nobody has pressured me to do this. Nobody has pressured me to get over it. But I think that that's a pretty common phenomenon. People are very, very uncomfortable around people who are grieving because they don't know what to do. Right. They don't, they don't understand how they can be helpful. And after a while, it gets exhausting. And so maybe they start, you know, pressuring the person to, okay, well, maybe you should you know, get back to doing this or doing that, or maybe you should start thinking differently or whatever. And the, the morning person begins to feel pressured to uh, get better, get back to normal. Well, you need to understand that there is no getting back to normal because normal is no longer there. Right. That old, that old normal died with my son. So I have to find a new normal in my life and I have not allowed anyone and, and gratefully no one around me has been pressuring me to get back to normal. But if they were, I would be saying to them, you know, this is my process. I'm sorry if it makes you uncomfortable, um, but I can't heal any faster. I have to take this one moment at a time because there have been days when I don't take it one day at a time. I take it a moment at a time. Right. And that's the best you can do. So 
if if you're feeling pressured, please don't don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. This is a very personal process. Not everyone processes grief and trauma in the same way. You know, we have certain, you know, common uh, manifestations of grief, but it's not the same for everybody. So please take your time. Don't let anyone tell you any different. If, if you, um, you know, have friends or whatever, and they're trying to get you to, you know, oh, come on out to dinner or whatever, and you don't feel like it, don't go. And don't do anything that you're not prepared to do. This is the worst trauma that you will ever experience in your life. Please give yourself a break. And um, I found that for the first couple of months after my son passed, I, I had a hard time even associating with the world at large. Mm. And it, it, there was just, I couldn't relate to it. You know, everything was thrown off. It was like I was put in a different dimension. Everything looked the same, but nothing felt the same. And um, it was very disconcerting, actually. And you're probably going to feel that if you're not already. Let yourself feel it. It's okay. You're not crazy. I promise you. Let yourself feel it. All of this trauma that you've been through, and, and, you know, I went through a year and a half of heavy-duty trauma that I described in our first show. So I had all of this on top of the event that took my son away. And I did not realize the extent of the impact that it had on me uh, uh, as a as a person, as a mother, as a wife, um, as a friend, I didn't realize it, but I'm learning. And be kind to yourself. Be just be kind to yourself, and know that this will pass. Time has it, it heals wounds. It really does. It's not going to heal this one, but all of the side effects are going to abate some. Um, I found that um, doing the normal things that I would do on a daily basis was very daunting for me. Mm -hmm. Just going to the grocery store was an event in and of itself. I didn't know why I was there. What am I doing? This is ridiculous. Watching other people in the... I remember one day I was in the grocery store... And it wasn't long after my son passed and everybody is just doing their thing. Right. Normal, you know, and I looked around and I got really angry and I wanted to stand there and stomp my feet and say, why are you people laughing and smiling? My son is dead. Right. My son is dead and you people are going on like nothing has happened. And, and that shocked me. It, it was a thought that came out of nowhere and I was shocked by it because I don't normally think along those lines, but these things will, will pop up in, in your awareness. 
please understand that that's normal and just let it go let it go as long as you don't i mean i didn't act on it but i forgave myself and i let it go and i just moved on but it's an it's an example of how your thinking gets a little skewed and you have to allow for that how did you handle people not knowing what to say or maybe not saying anything? Like, How did you be- even begin to navigate that process? Well, uh, you know, I, I understood that, um, you know, even when my son was sick, um, you know, I have a very close circle of very good friends. And these people were the ones who actually saved my life. They were my life raft during the illness and even after uh, his death. And what I did with these people, because they wanted so badly to do something that would alleviate the suffering in this house. And I, I said to every one of them, I feel really bad for you because you want to do something to help and you, there's nothing you can do and you're frustrated and I'm sorry, but there's nothing you can do. I just give me your love. Send me blessings when you think of me. Don't think of, you know, oh, there's poor Martha, you know, with, with her dying son. Please don't think of me that way. You know, think of me uh, with light around me, send me blessings, send me love, and I will feel that. And that's what will save my life. So rather than allow everyone to feel awkward, I would start the conversation with anybody. Mm-hmm. I know that it's difficult for you to find something to say to me. And it's okay, you don't have to just be there. Just be be there. And that seemed to um, take the weight off of the other person, you know, by acknowledging it for them. Right. And um, I don't know if everyone would be able to do that kind of thing, but I just felt so bad for everybody because what do you say to a mother who just lost her child? Right. There's nothing you can say other than I'm sorry. And and that's enough. Just say, I, I am so sorry for your loss. There are no words to tell you how I feel for you right now. And just your presence and your empathy is, is very healing. So um, to all friends and family, just be aware that kind words and offering your your presence is is going to make a big big difference Hmm. it's hard it's hard for other people yeah i mean i remember when my dad was talking about um when he lost his daughter janine his adult daughter that there were some friendships that um didn't make it through that uh because people just didn't know what to say they didn't say anything he became angry about that later on and that was all part of the process yeah um, yeah too absolutely well you know i lost a couple of friends because um it's really interesting because 
a situation like this really tells you what people are all about. And um, one of the friends that, that I've disconnected with was someone that I've known for decades. And this woman never one time, not one single time during the entire ordeal, ever asked, how, how are you doing? How's your son doing? Never, not once. And never uh, condolence afterwards, nothing. And um, I had to put a stop to that because that's not a friend. Right. And um, so it's, it's, you know, it opens up a lot of emotional stuff for sure. But I know that the friends I have around me now are, they, to me, they are priceless because they didn't know what to say. They were, they were tripping over themselves wanting to help and they couldn't in a way that satisfied them. Yeah. And, um, you know, but they were present. They were present in my space. And that's incredibly valuable to me. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough scenario for people. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because we would call and, and I, I know I would call you and I would be calling about you and you would do what you do. You would turn the conversation around into something about me. <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm calling about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Two things about that, Kristen. <laughs> First thing is, you, you know, you have to understand that when you're in that place, you're in your own head 24 seven. And you get sick of the sound of your own thoughts. Mm. And any respite from that is very welcome. Okay. And second, second thing about that is, you know, this is what I do and it's who I am. And working with other people is very healing for me. And, you know, when I had to give up my practice for a period of time, I was beside myself. And, and I needed, I needed to get back to that. And the way to help me to feel better is to come to me and say, you know, hey, can you help me out for a minute? Right. And that will bring out the best part of me. So it, and, and again, you know, I get you get sick of the sound of your own voice. Yeah, so you know, sometimes where you you where I was like, she sounds relieved to hear about my nonsense. <laughs> yes, I was. I actually was. Mm. You know, the, this kind of grief is the kind of thing. It's like a straitjacket mm. in so many ways. You know that you can't get out of it. You're in a room with no doors and no windows. And every now and then somebody will find a window and open it up and, oh, there's Kristen. Okay, here, what, what's going on? Let's talk. Mm. And that was like a relief for me. And, and it also helped me to understand that my grief is not terminal. This situation is not terminal. I can still do my work even though I am tied up in grief, right? it's still there. That part of me that 
you know, that does this work is still alive, still healthy, still well, and can still do it. And that right there is hope. That's hope to me. So I was always happy to hear from you, always. <laughs> yeah, it's odd because you feel guilty for calling, but then you have to call. And I wanted you to talk about it whenever you were ready, have the space here on the network for you to do whatever it is you wanted to do or not do anything. So, mm -hmm. but all my own feelings of guilt around, well, I don't want to bother her because my God, what she's going well, through, but then also going, well, I'm going to bother her. <laughs> well, you did the right thing you see in my book. And this refers back to what I was saying about how my friends were feeling uh, kind of hobbled, mm -hmm. you know, not knowing what to do, but wanting to do something so badly. And, and you were maybe not realizing that what you were doing was good medicine for me. Right. So, yeah. you know, again, uh, eternal gratitude for that um, because it reminded me that I'm not just a grieving mother. I am a spirit in a body who came here to do this work. Right. And I can do it. And, and, you know, that was a very helpful reminder. So, you know, every woman who's going through this is going to experience this phenomenon um, individually, you know, how, it'll, how it shows up for her will be an individual thing. At this point in time, eight and a half months after my son left, I'm still feeling his absence in my life. I miss my son. And I want him here. But, I mean, even though I know where he is and um, I have spoken with him, uh, which is very comforting, um, I still want him here. I want to see him. I want to be able to touch him and, and talk with him the way you talk with other people. Right. I want that back. Well, it, it's not going to happen, so I have to move forward. And and I am moving forward, and, and, you know, there are things that I've done that, that have been very helpful to me that I will share with everybody, um, you know, in the hopes that, that um, it might be helpful to them as well. But before I get into that, I do really want to say, again, if, if you are a mother who has lost her baby, and I don't care how old that child is when he or she leaves, that will always be your baby. If you've lost that child and you are having a hard time getting yourself back into any kind of place of peace or equilibrium, it's okay. It's normal. There is no timeline here. Now, if you are really, really paralyzed, after, say, a year, there is a disorder that uh, uh, can manifest, and um, it's a bereavement disorder, and I would encourage you to get some help. Get, see a psychologist, a therapist of some sort, someone who can work with you 
um, to be able to find a door or a window in that box that you're in mm. and be able to open it up and let a little bit of air and light inside so that you can begin to find your way back. Sometimes that's all you need. But please get help if you can't do this. Um, I feel that I have an advantage because of my spiritual beliefs. And honestly, it was that belief that got me through everything. Um, it didn't ameliorate the, the uh, shock and the trauma, but I don't feel lost and hopeless because of it. Um, you know, when you talk about the stages of grief, there's, there's anger uh, listed as one of them, and I was never angry about any of it mm-hmm. because my spiritual belief is that before we come here uh, into our human life, we actually take part in planning what we're going to experience when we get here. And we do that with our advisors and guides and we formulate a plan and we draw up an agenda and we pack our tools uh, and then we make the trip into the human body. Well, you know, I, I know myself well enough to know that I would pick hard things because if the objective is spiritual growth and expansion, I want all I can get. Yeah. And so I will pick a hard life any day of the week. So knowing this and knowing that I chose this agenda and that my son chose his agenda, I couldn't get mad. (laughs) I couldn't get mad. Who am I going to get mad at? God? God didn't do this. You know, God is right here uh, and and is suffering right along with me mm-hmm. and is comforting me and is bringing me love and light. So I couldn't get mad. I know that you didn't have, I noticed this and I loved it. You had absolutely zero patience for nonsense. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean... I'm a very pragmatic spiritual person. I'm not, I, I'm not all into, you know, let's love and forgive everything. Okay. <laughs> Ideally need to do that. I get that, but I live in the real world here and it's a challenge. <laughs> and am I successful most of the time? Yes, I am. But honestly, between you and me, I'm not always successful. So what do I do with that? I forgive myself and then I try to do better next time. Right. But, you know, you have to find some kind of uh, belief that relieves you of victimhood. Because I, I, I've talked to other women who have lost children and, you know, a common thread was, why did God do this to me? And so now, not only are you dealing with the grief of your lost child, you're dealing with this feeling of abandonment by some God out there that is doing bad things to you. You know, it's just compounding it. And, and the way I have 
uh, evolved in my own spiritual understanding, God doesn't do anything to me. God supports whatever I choose to do. And, um, you know, this event was my choosing. I chose this in order to grow and expand in a way I may not understand because I can't see the big picture, but I know myself well enough to know I'm not going to submit to horrible torture without some doggone good reason. (laughs) So, um, you know, and I will eat the cake before I eat the frosting because (laughs) I'll save the best for last. (laughs) But, you know, it takes the anger away. It takes the victimhood away. Right. And um, that's very, very important. You know, when you know that whatever you're doing in your life has an impact on something larger than you, it takes away the sting to a large degree of the, you know, normal stuff that goes on in our lives. And it makes you feel part of something. So I couldn't be angry. But, you know, all the other stages, and I didn't bargain either. You know, dear God, send my son back to me and I'll do X, Y, and Z. I can't do that because there's no bargain to be made. Right. And besides, I know where my son is and I have spoken with him. So everything is good. Um, now, walk us through one thing, Martha. Walk us through one thing where I remember you saying it was right after he passed away that you couldn't feel him. You couldn't, and you and you're yes. someone who's able to talk to people on the other side, and you could not do that with your son. And you that was I remember. I mean, I remember walking through the state park, having a conversation with you on this hike, and I was like. I'm going to lose power on my phone. I don't know this hike. I'm going to die in the woods, but I am not hanging up on this call with Martha. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea where the end of this hike was going to take me and if I would ever find my car and I had no food or water, which was really dumb. But, um, but I remember that, that you went through that phase where you were like, I can't feel him. And now I'm hearing you say, have spoken to him. So walk our, our listeners through that piece. Sure. Um, well, as you know, uh, I am a medium and, um, I, in the, in the course of my practice, I don't, uh, just say, okay, let's sit down and find some dead relatives. That's not the main event. But if somebody is in a session with me and someone from the other side decides they'd like to take part or participate, they'll come through and I will hear them. And I will relay messages to my client. I've always been very good at that. I mean, it's easy for me to do. I talk to dead people all the time. Um, A couple of my siblings um, are pretty right there. You know, my one sister just, I mean, she was a talker when she was alive. And she's not changed since she's passed away. (laughs) So it's Honestly, and I mean, wow. And I was able to connect with her uh, shortly after she passed. Some people will say, don't try to contact a loved one immediately after they cross. They need time to orient themselves. 
that's not always been the case with me. Uh, so it's always been very easy for me to connect with people who are either pa in the process of passing, which is very interesting, or have already passed. When I knew my son was uh, going to pass, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to sit there with him. When he takes his last breath, I will be able to see this and experience it and be able to help guide him over to the other side so he doesn't get lost or confused. I fully expected to be able to do that. Well, the reality of it was not that at all. When my son stopped breathing, I stopped breathing. And I was not in the mindset to be able to accompany my child to the other side. I mean, I've done this for other people. So it's it was nothing new, but I, you're not going to do that with your child. And I spent a great deal of time trying to connect with him. Where is he? Where is he? Is he okay? I needed to know that he made it home. And I couldn't find him. I could not see him. I couldn't hear him. I, it was the most unnerving thing that I could remember happening on that day. And I immediately called a friend of mine who was also able to uh, do what I do. And I said to her, my son just died. Please go find him. And that's all I said. And I hung up. And And she was able to do what I couldn't do. And the reason I couldn't do it was because of my own grief process. I learned that, um, uh, you know, after doing some research, what happens to you physiologically when you experience shock, grief, or trauma? Um, you go into the fight or flight. We've all heard of that. But these chemicals, these hormones that are released at that time are tasked with survival. And when I do the work that I'm doing, I'm not in that part of my brain. And the fight or flight hormones will restrict blood flow to the part of your brain that you need to do that. So I wasn't physiologically able to do it. Mm, and, okay. But it was very unnerving, I have to say. We were trying to figure out, you know, was this a, you know, that he was in a place that you weren't supposed to be able to get to him. I remember having that conversation, too. Right. Well, you know, at that time, I was not able to think properly. And again, you know, I am, I'm going to blame the, the stress hormones because they tend to restrict or reduce blood flow to the parts of your brain where you uh, process thoughts and language. And, you know, that's why you feel foggy and you can't think and you can't make decisions because all of that blood is going to your vital organs. and. So 
yeah, I didn't realize that in that moment. All I knew was that my son was gone and I don't know where he is and this needs to stop. Right. I need to know where my kid is. Right. And uh, subsequent to that, uh, it's only recently that I was able to connect with my son. Um, and it's been eight months. And I think maybe part of it was subconscious. I didn't want to be, you know, oh, I'm having a conversation with my dead kid. I don't want my mm. kid to be dead. I want him here. I don't right. know if it was subconscious, but um, now I'm, you know, more relaxed and and um, I can I can talk with him. And we had a conversation mm. yesterday, as a matter of fact. So. Um, you know, it. if you are a person with those kind of abilities and, and you've lost them temporarily, it is temporary. So just be kind to yourself. <laughs> Why do you yeah. think some people are gifted with those things and other people don't? Like, I've never been able to speak to, I've had, you know, you've seen the things that I've and they're they're different. I guess maybe it's just that we are all different. We come here with different gifts, different tools. Well, we all come here with a different agenda. And mm. if being able to be a medium or a psychic or a healer serves that agenda, that's exactly what you're going to be. Okay. It's as simple as that, really. You know, everybody has these abilities. And, um, you know, some people don't find them until much later in life. I happen to have them probably from the get-go. I can remember being five years old and talking to dead people. And, mm. um, but you see, this ability serves my agenda as a healer. You know, I can, I can use this ability for the benefit of other people. And um, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, I probably wouldn't have these abilities or maybe not as acute. I don't know. I think it just depends on why you're here. Okay. And that makes so much sense. Again, it does the thing of stop comparing yourself to other people and thinking that other people are better than you or more advanced right. than you are. It gets rid of all of that nonsense because that's just not. It, that has nothing to do with why we're here. That's that's right. You know, th these psychological mind games that we play with ourselves, um, you know, we get this from society. You know, there's so much pressure from society to be or do or whatever. And, you know, what I believe to be true about the fact that I sat down with my advisors and composed this agenda for this lifetime really tells me that I don't have to compare myself to anybody because nobody is living my agenda except me. And I'm perfectly suited and have all the tools that I need to do what I came here to do. You know, nobody's going to do what I came here to do except me. So I don't feel the need to compare myself to anyone else. As long as I can sleep at night and know that I am doing the best I can, that's all I need. You know, and, and that's, that's, I'm sorry, go ahead, dear. No, no, 
I love it when you say that, when you say dear. Um, <laughs> it takes a lot. You have helped me take so much sting um, out of things that have happened uh, in my life and where, you know, I'd be angry at uh, someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You made an agreement with that person to have that experience. And I'd be like, right. But it takes a yeah. long time to stop getting angry. As, you know, when you've had a very traumatic experience here and that's been your belief system, right. um, you have to, you know, I didn't just, when you said that, I just didn't immediately stop getting angry with people. It took right, me right, quite a number right. of years. <laughs> Yeah, to be well, like, it's, it's okay, I'm a little angry, but then I let it go because I don't want to stay in the place of being a victim all the time. It's a problem. One yet be angry. And yes, exactly. That's that's why I say, you know, I mean, look, I'm a spiritual teacher. I do very what I consider to be sacred work. In in my book, it's sacred. Um, you know, I work through many dimensions. I have many friends on the other side. I talk to these people all the time and I work with my guides. Now, you know, that's not your everyday usual kind of occupation. I get that, <laughs> and, you know, but I think that, you know, when you're talking about someone who does what I do, you have certain expectations of what kind of person they're going to be. And, you know, never do anything wrong, always peace and love and, and you know, incense burning right. and stuff like that. Well, <laughs> you know, if if I'm doing 55 down Highway 209 and you pull out in front of me, you may hear a couple of things. And and that that's one of my buttons, by the way. That is one of my – and I have a few. But the <laughs> – the difference between myself and someone else is that I go, okay, really? You just did that? You said that? Are you kidding me? And and mm. I talk myself back into, you know, I observe my thinking and my behavior and I go, okay, that's not who I choose to be. And send a blessing to the guy I just cussed at. It's a process. <laughs> Nobody is perfect. And And, you know, going through what I've just been through and I'm still going through is challenging on so many levels. And I have very strong and powerful faith and it's still a huge challenge for me. And I just want everybody out there to know, you know, look at this, what you're going through is horrible. It's the worst thing you can do. But look, before you came here, you agreed to do this. Now, I know that I'm going to get some angry emails about this, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. You agreed to do this because you knew from that higher perspective that this was going to accelerate your spiritual growth. And when you're over there in that space, that's all you think about. When you're here, all you think about is your pain. And so, look, at you came with the tools to get through this and learn from it. I've got mine. You've got yours. You know, I would love to be able to help as many women as I can and say, it's okay. You're going to make it. 
And in the interest of, uh, you know, giving people a little bit of a head start, I do want to remind people that trauma and grief does not sit in a very good place in your central nervous system. It constantly triggers fight and flight. So you're always being triggered and you feel that horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach. You may get headaches. However it manifests physically, this needs to be addressed. And that is very, very important. And I want to make sure that everybody hears this because it's not just the emotional aspect that you need to look at. It's what it's doing to you physically. You know, constant stress hormone release is devastating to the body over time. And we need to release all of that energy that is being pent up inside. So what I'm going to, I'm going to suggest a few things for uh, anyone out there. And it's not just for grieving mothers. This can be good for anybody really. Uh, But we need to um, address the physical stuff. So what I would ask you to do is when you feel this stress starting to mount, you can feel it in your body. I know you know what I mean. Um, It usually manifests in some very common places. Mine ends up in my gut. Mm -hmm. I can feel the knot. I can feel the butterflies. I can feel the heaviness right in my solar plexus. And there's a reason for that. There's stuck energy there. So you need to mobilize that and get it out. If you're getting headaches, which is very common, migraines are very common, um, that's energy that's getting stuck and you need to clear that out, which is why I would recommend getting some energy work. Some Reiki would be excellent. Uh, The work I do is perfect for, for grieving people because we combine talk therapy and spiritual guidance along with the the energy work. If you can find somebody to do that, please do it. But if not, uh, let me just suggest to you that when you feel those symptoms, let's use the gut. Just take your right hand or whichever hand feels comfortable for you and place it on your belly. Close your eyes. And take a good deep breath into the count of five and very slowly exhale to the count of six. Do that a few times. And what you're doing is you're shutting off that part of your brain or slowing that down enough for the feeling side of you to come in. And start, you know, activating the sympathetic nervous system that it will allow you to rest and breathe and, and feel better. Put, you know, do your breathing, put your hand on your belly, and just imagine that you're breathing into your hand. And that breath is going into your stomach. Imagine, if you can, that that breath is nothing but light. You're breathing in light through your arm, going out through your hand and into your stomach. Breathing in that light, sending it into that place, that 
that energy that you're transmitting into your belly is real and it's healing. You may not feel symptom relief after the first session over time. What you're doing is you're training your mind to stop, you know, tensing up against the stress mm -hmm. and to relax into it, okay? Another thing that I would like to talk to you about doing is the possibility of meditation. Meditation has saved my skin. And I would suggest going online to someone like Dr. Jeffrey Thompson or uh, Kelly Howell, uh, who will give you a beautiful meditation that has appropriate brain waves. When you are in constant stress, you are in a beta brain wave. And that does that shuts off any any higher thinking. So what you want to do is you want to elevate your your brain wave to an alpha or a theta range. And these uh programs that I've listened to will will give you those brain waves. Uh, and your brain waves will entrain to those higher brain waves. And it's going to cause the relaxation response to kick in. Um, you know, if you don't want a guided meditation, go to something that just has music, but with the brain waves, if you can do it. If you cannot sit down for a 15 minute or a 30 minute meditation, which I could not do, by the way. Uh, you know, the first month or so, I couldn't even do the breathing. I, I just couldn't do it. But if you can't do an entire 30 minutes, um, I would do, and I recommend this to all of my clients, by the way, do that five, six breathing that I just explained. Just sit someplace quietly. Do a five, uh, six breathing, five, uh, beats in to your in-breath, six beats out to your out-breath. Do that a few times and just be present in the moment. Mindfulness will get you out of that monkey mind that will not shut up and will not leave you alone and has nothing but bad pictures to show you. Find something in that moment while you're doing that five, six breathing. Find something to focus on and only on that. And if you can manage it, stick a word of gratitude in there. Find something that you can be grateful for. I don't care how small it is. I don't care how big it is. What you're doing by doing these things is you're turning your attention away from stress hormones. You're turning your attention away from all of the nightmare pictures and thoughts that are going through your mind. And if you do it enough over time, you'll start being able to breathe easier, sleep better, uh, you know, put one foot in front of the other without monumental effort you're training your mind to relax. I strongly urge, if all you can do is sit down and do the little breathing for 30 seconds, do it several times a day. 
And um, there are other things that you can do, but I, I strongly urge just starting small and moving into a full meditation later if you can manage it. These things have helped me. They have helped me immensely. So, listeners, we're going to keep talking about this, and Martha's going to give more things that you can do over time. Um, but there's a reason why, you know, we don't throw it all out in one show because you don't, healing doesn't work that way. So no, we're going to deliver it. Yeah, we're going to deliver what we can deliver over time, which is how healing happens anyway. Yes, I agree. I agree. In the meantime, please don't give up hope. And just know that every one of you, I'm I'm praying for you. I'm sending you love and energy and healing. And, and know that you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Thank you, Kristen. You're welcome. And what email address, if anyone has any questions or comments, um, you set up an email address for them to be able to go to you directly. So what is that email address? That email address is source harmonics healing, all one word, at yahoo.com. Just so everybody's got it, source, S-O-U-R-C-E, harmonics, H-A-R-M-O-N-I-C-S, healing.com. I'm sorry, healing at yahoo.com. Yes. And and I welcome any and all comments or questions. I'll do my best to uh, get back to you. Um, you know, but just know that that we're we're with you and uh, that you're not alone. Mm. Thank you, Martha and listeners. We will be back um, in another couple of weeks for another show to keep you you know on this journey. I look forward to it. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne.com.
surprised when I don't hate on you After all we promised we'd be cordial Sometimes in you I can fight it Good boy